We're back for another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week, you know, we're just picking up the pieces of our shattered lives. We're just trying to cope as we move into an uncertain future, but maybe that's just me. How's it all going on your end, Kit Holden? It's strange that you say that, Matt, because uh, I'm looking out the window and the sun is shining, and uh, weirdly, since since around kind of 8.30 on, on Saturday evening, German time, I've just had this feeling of... Of, of joy bubbling away within me and, and hopefulness for the future and, and everything feels great. So yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, to each their own. Yeah. Well, if you hadn't caught Don, among our duties today is to react to the Berlin Derby. So Union fan kit was absolutely the man we needed to balance out the Hertha supporting me. It is tradition here on Talking Foosball. We're going to be right back with that bracing storyline as well as, you know, more of the best of the rest of Match Day 29. While I have you here, do subscribe to the pod. Leave us a good rating. It helps get the word out. Do consider, if you have a little bit of uh, cash to spare, subscribing to our Patreon. We got lots of timeless content over there, including 34 episodes of Historic Match Day Moments, eight Scandal episodes, and much more. It really helps us keep the pod going. See you in a moment. kick off with part one of Talking Foosball Direct, where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 29. You know, the best takes on a different character each week. I have to imagine everyone's become accustomed to that. The best the Bundesliga had to offer, I think, was the intrigue that surrounded the Berlin Derby on match day 29. It was hugely anticipated matches, all derbies really are. It was the third derby of the season. One that had come after two wins for SFC Union Berlin. The first game of the season for Hertha with a, a capacity crowd showing up. We had around 75,000 in the Olympiastadion. So, you know, everything was lining up for this to be a, a foosball fest, as it were. But it was actually not really a good game, not a close contest at all. Former Hertha player Genki Haraguchi scored about half an hour into the game. Marcel Lotka was a very busy man in the Hertha net, fending off another, I don't know, 10 or so shots on target in the first half. Ridiculous. An own goal brought on by some momentarily credible Hertha pressure put things even four minutes into the second half. But that state of affairs lasted just four minutes after Grisha Promo put Union back up. Two more goals for Union before the end, a 4-1 finish. This was not just a result kit, as you know, but this was this was really a, a demonstration of everything that's gone wrong for Hertha and everything that's gone right for Union over the past, you know, two, three years. You know, you were in the ground. You were covering the game for uh, Tagesspiegel, I take it. What was the feeling around the ground before the game and after the game? I mean, generally, I, I, I should say that it was it was pretty peaceful. I mean, uh, uh, I think there was a, uh, a bit of stuff going on in the Union block from, from what I heard. But, I mean, generally, there was no clashes between the, the two fans. And after the game, it was a pretty kind of peaceful atmosphere around the ground and in the pubs and things. And I think there was a kind of... It's almost. I wonder if it had been different. If it would have been different if the the result had gone the other way, because there was almost a sense I felt that you know the Hertha fans are so defeated, basically, and just so kind of uh, the outlook is so bleak that that the only kind of answer to that is is just gallows humour and and uh, accepting it really. And so there was a kind of sense that there wasn't really any kind of aggro between the two fan groups after the game. But then before the game, I was I was quite surprised at how pretty much. The only song that any any had to found was singing outside the ground or, or even in the ground in the build up to the game was was Chaiso Nyon, um, which you know, translates I think everybody can can work out as not a nice, very nice thing to say about Onion and uh, that I mean fine that's a derby like and you know we were discussing before and as you said the other side uh, have have equally uh, said the chance that they pull out and it's always the case with derbies and there's always the emotion and that's part of it but it felt a bit kind of like, guys, you know, first, like you say, first game back in a full stadium for several years. Everyone's really excited for this game. It's been a huge build-up. And, and instead of kind of 
feeling optimistic and feeling, you know, happy about the whole day as, you know, apart from a couple of uh, rain showers, beautiful sunshine, which is a great day. And instead of, yeah, the mood being good, it was just this kind of, whoa, like ag- aggressiveness and, and, and it, yeah, it, it felt angry uh, in the, among the Hertha fans. Um, and I think that was less to do with, with any kind of deep antipathy towards Onion and, and much more an expression of, yeah, how, how grim the situation is there really. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm actually. I mean, while it's obviously disappointing for from for either side of this rivalry to concentrate on the shice, the other side, because that's just a bit simplistic and 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 you know disappointing. Um, I'm actually encouraged to hear that this was mostly a peaceful, mostly a good natured atmosphere. Um, considering what's happened in some of the past games with with flares or with you know some scuffles in various places. Uh, you know, outside the ground or even, you know, leading up to the, the respective stadiums. Maybe we should talk for a moment about the game. It was a very definitive result. It was not a close game. It was basically, other than that one phase at the beginning of the second half when, when Hertha sort of stumbled into an equalizer, you know, not a, a game in which the result was particularly in doubt. How did you view the way that the two teams approach this game? I mean, obviously, Hertha are the home side. They're the side that sort of has some, um, you know, for want of a better word, the bigger reputation or the bigger sort of – they're the quote-unquote bigger club. But they really approached this, it seemed, in quite a defensive way. I mean, Felix Magat put out, you know, a lineup that included maybe two, maybe three attacking players. And other than that, it was just – an attempt to strangle a game, which, you know, I, I get it in the circumstances that the team is in, but it definitely spoke volumes about where these teams are at. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, Magat kind of said before the game as well, that, that he saw Union as quite clear favorites, I think. And, and it was clear that Hertha were going to set up to, like you say, if not exactly part the bus, then at least, at least circuit pressure and see what, what chances they could, they could take. And to a certain extent, I mean, I think, it was Fisher said after the game that, that yes, it was a clear result and yes, it was, you know, uh, a deserved result. But he said, yeah, there were still phases in the game where it could have tipped the other way. And I think he was right because I think after the goal, Maolida's chance uh, late in the first half, which came out of nowhere, was a really good chance and really, really uh, well-constructed move from, from Hertha. If that had gone in, then again, you might, you might be looking at a completely different game. And so there were, it wasn't, the, it wasn't a totally gutless hopeless performance from Hertha it was just as you say there's sort of moments of credibility rather than um, rather than anything sustained and I think from Onion point of view it's just really encouraging to see that that a game in a game like that where I think Onion would naturally uh, Fisher's Onion would naturally prefer to, to be the team that's that's sitting back and, and hitting on the break and, and looking to use the transitions that they could take the game, take that role as, as the, the team that was dominating the game and, and controlling the game and, and really did it well. I mean, they, they, they weren't uh, set back by the fact that they, they missed a few chances in the first half an hour. They kept pushing, they got the goal. They weren't pushed back by the by the equaliser. They immediately um, uh, went 2-1 up with the header from Promal. So it, uh, just a very, very tight performance from Mignon in a, in a kind of role that they're not necessarily used to. And I think that's, that's hugely encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there was kind of two games going on. There was the first game where, where Union actually had to make the game, and they did surprisingly well, considering their, their sort of preferences. And then there was the second game where they went up to one, and Hertha had to make the game. And it was it was obvious that Union were very comfortable in that role. They scored two more goals in that role, and it got ugly. Speaking of ugly, I, I, you know, considering the duties of, of a, you know, a, a beat writer or match reporter, you maybe were not party to this. You might have been at either a press conference, a mix zone, whatever. Really, immediately following the game, there was some pretty ugly stuff from, you know, Oskurva, where the, the ultras for uh, Hertha are, where they sort of got to the point of, I don't know. I mean, they, they started to make some pretty strong demands of the players that they not only sort of um, sort of make amends for their um, poor performance, but demanded that they take their jerseys off and, you know, lay them out in front of the curva because they don't deserve to wear the shirt. I mean, <sighs> given the history that has happened over this course of the season with, you know, some of the ultras visit to training back in January, you know, making some pretty um, threatening statements. Given 
the fact that a lot of these ultras, most of these ultra groups decided not to support Hertha during any of the sort of COVID restriction periods. They weren't going to the stadium. They were sort of keeping away until, you know, the restrictions were lifted. It strikes me as insane that these fans would think that this was a productive measure, that this was a measure that sort of would lead to anything positive. I think this is an example of, of some ultras who have just lost the plot. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it's, it's clearly not constructive and it's it's clearly much more kind of, uh, I think, theatrics, which are perhaps born out of the fact that, that as you say, they haven't been there um, for, for several years and this was the kind of the big return to their turf and, and you know, perhaps got, got a little bit carried away with that as well. I don't know, but whether it was premeditated or, or, or what, but, I mean, it, it is probably ridiculous. In, in part, I think, also just because, you know, yes, this team has massively underperformed in this season. And yes, it is when you have three coaches, burden of responsibility does lie to at least to a large extent with the players. But at the same time, I didn't feel like this was a team that had totally given up. I didn't, you know, as I said before, there were moments where you felt, okay, they're fighting. Okay, there is there is something to, to get behind here. There is some kind of... Yeah, a flash of hope that you can maybe build on and, and might see you through to the end of the season and, and to kind of basically just, just pee all over that basically by, by sort of humiliating them. And, and particularly, you know, you've got young players who have, and Locker, you know, who's had an absolutely amazing first half diving everywhere to, you know, save every on your shot. And the, 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 the then goes away from that situation, not only with the result, but also with that kind of public sort of mess is is just not good and and yeah again i think it's sort of damning indictment of of the mood around the club um and i don't i don't see how that can change really in the next few weeks because this was the big opportunity to kind of switch that mood if they had one or if even if if they'd drawn or you know had a late equalizer or something if there'd been something really positive to take away from this game then they could have used that as a boost for the for the remaining games which are much more realistic to win and and uh against direct direct rivals in the the relegation fight but yeah instead it was the complete opposite and i think it's more toxic now than it was a few days ago yeah yeah it's it's crazy i mean i think losing a derby and, and losing this way like basically they were not good. Hertha were not good in the game, but they were in the game until they went down 2-1 and, and sort of had to sort of chase the game. And, and that put, you know, Union in a great position. They took advantage, you know, good on them. But as you say, this was not a sort of they, – they didn't fold. And <laughs> the reaction of these fans was basically saying that they did, and it was a fundamental misunderstanding of what they had just seen. But I get where they're coming from, considering everything that their defense have had to swallow for the past two or three years. I mean, you have to remember, going into this game, all of their direct relegation competitors, whether that's Stuttgart, who had lost on Friday night, Augsburg, Bielefeld, had all lost going into this game. I, maybe, maybe it's also a bit of a sting from you know letting that opportunity slip away. I mean, the real big games when they actually play all three of those games are coming up still. But this would have been a very nice time to take a step out of the relegation places. I wanted to sort of put something to you, uh, considering this this notion of, of Hertha going down, which I think is an increasingly likely thing. Christopher Trimmel, captain of uh, of Union, of course. As, as he often does, had a very nice game. I had an interesting quote after that, said he was he was delighted to win the Derby, of course, but emphasized that he didn't want Hertha to go down. Do you think that most people around Union, whether that's people in the club or fans, feel that way? I mean, what would it mean for Berlin football for, for Hertha to go down at this point? Yeah, I absolutely do think most people agree. I mean, I think there'll be certain people who would have a certain amount of schadenfreude, I guess, if, if Hertha did go down. But I think generally the feeling is, the derbies are fun, particularly when we're winning them. I and mean, actually, when he when he said that, Tremel, the the uh, journalist asking him, joked, "Oh, is that only because it's going to be six easy points next season if they stay up?" And <laughs> he had to sort of politely say, "No, no, 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 no. It's about the atmosphere of the derbies and things like that." And and yeah, and I think generally for Unión, it, it it helps if also if Hertha are there to kind of be the the big kind of lightning rod and and the the club that everyone's talking about really because. They are still, I think, just by membership and, and certainly by uh, in terms of budget and things, the biggest club in Berlin. They will still be if they even if they go down next year. Union don't necessarily want to be 
the club in the limelight. They're quite happy and they're able to work. And the, the way they work is is uh, partly based on the fact that they can kind of slip under the radar quite a lot of the time and uh, and do their own thing. And, and they don't have this kind of weight of expectation that clubs like Hertha or even Stuttgart or Hasfau, you know, all these kind of crisis sides on Sveina have. And so, yeah, I think I think everyone really would would say, yeah, no, as 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 nice as it is to win the derby it's it's going to be much better for for Ognol if you've still got that game and those fixtures and and yeah Hertha basically distracting everyone from from anything that might be going on at Ognol it's, it's it's interesting you bring up this idea that part of what makes Ognol kind of what, one of the things that puts him in a good position is flying a little bit under the radar and of course history you know has a million reasons for that but i would say partly that is due to a sort of set of media habits, let's just say. I mean, Hertha for many, many, many years has been the biggest club in the, in the city. And all the daily newspapers in town, of which there are many, cover Hertha and are always digging around for, for stories. And, you know, Hertha is a club that's, you know, compared to, you know, a very big club like Bayern or Dortmund, of course, is on a completely different level in terms of media attention. But local media pays a lot of attention to Hertha and has for a long time. In that I have a member of the local media who covers Union. <laughs> Do you think that that you know? Correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of newspapers in Berlin have given historically somewhat shorter shrift to Union, or have treated them a little bit like a niche interest. Like ah, you know, there's there's some people out east who care about that sort of thing, but like the focus at our paper is on Hertha. And like, do you think that's changing? I mean, you you work. You work in a newspaper that is a, is a, an old West newspaper and is beginning to cover Union a lot more than it used to. Do you think that that's something that's slowly that they're they're getting to be on something of the same level in terms of attention? And is that is that going to be tricky for for a club like Union to handle? Yeah, I mean it's hard to say. I mean I think pretty much all papers are in the same uh, <laughs> position there really across the world in the <laughs> getting the money to, to actually uh, and the resources to actually uh, yeah cover two clubs properly is quite hard in most most sports desks I think and like yeah as you say the, the, those habits are entrenched and particularly in the in the the old West Berlin papers it's it's there's a very clear demand from the readership um, and the, the subscribers to to cover more out there because they tend to be Hertha fans. There's uh, more Hertha fans in those areas of the city where where the paper is read. And Union, like you say, are kind of and were for a long time a, a more of a niche club. I and mean, it's only really a, uh, just over a decade ago that they were, you know, not even in the professional league structure and effectively, you know, could have been a, a club the size of Tennis Borussia or BFC Dynamo again if it had gone the other way. You know, so we are talking about a, a pretty a pretty quick rise here that that will take time to kind of for things like the the media infrastructure to catch up. But I think it's also about the way Onion see themselves as opposed to the way how to see themselves because how to do see themselves and market themselves very, very aggressively as the club for the whole of Berlin. And Onion very deliberately take the opposite tack, which is to say, no, you can't speak to the whole of Berlin. Berlin is culturally very divided and, and fragmented city. And we see ourselves as very rooted in our particular borough, which is on the southeast fringes of Berlin, it's effectively a suburb. They play up in in some ways to to yeah that that kind of history and 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 yeah if not if not necessarily an East Berlin identity then definitely a definitely a Kupernik identity and and that won't change because that's a very very fundamental pillar of how the club understands itself and and the identity it wants to create for itself in 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 the Bundesliga and so I think that's another reason why they they just will not want houses to be cut down because you know they don't want to be the club for Berlin they see themselves as a club for some people in Berlin uh, whoever wants it you know chooses that but if they don't choose that then fine uh, whereas Fertz I think the the kind of the, the bar is always no we need to be getting people from across the city and we need to be the the first port of call for, for every football fan in the city and yeah that's just a very very different self-understanding mm. okay yeah, I mean, I mean, just as Hertha are in danger of going down, Union are in danger of qualifying for Europe again, if you want to put it that way. What exactly would that mean for them? And and you know, how surprised are you to see them sustain like that? Considering at least they spent the first half of the season competing on on multiple fronts. There's been a fair bit of turnover both before the season in the squad as well as you know selling Max Kruse at that somewhat surprising juncture, I guess. 
to see them <laughs> basically hang in there near the top of the table the whole season still feels pretty surprising. It is surprising. And it's kind of surprising that it's surprising because it's the third year in a row that they've done it now. And, and well, I mean, first year, obviously, they weren't at the top of the table, but they were pretty much out of the relegation fight for, for most of it, which was a lot more than most people expected. And since then, yeah, they've been basically stuck around the European spots, which, I mean, is just dreamland for, for on your fans. Nobody, nobody, absolutely nobody expected or, or demanded this would, this, that, you know, this should be what happens in the first three years in the Bundesliga. And it's hard because, you know, you, you do think at some point it, it has to, to hit a wall. At some point, you know, it can't be, it can't be that they just keep on doing it and, and, you know, teams do eventually fall away, but they just, do seem to have this knack of, of being able, despite the, the huge squad turnovers they have every year, despite the fact that, you know, the best players always do move on, of keeping that momentum going and integrating people, you know, the new players quickly enough and efficiently enough to, to keep that rhythm and keep that drumbeat and, and keep overachieving and, and also not be, I think, set back by the few weeks when they're off form. I mean, even after the win against Cologne last, well, yeah, the uh, previous weekend, um, that, you know, that wasn't a particularly convincing performance. And they, <laughs> they basically scored because Unisector invited them to score and otherwise didn't really create much and neither did Cologne. It was a dreadful game. And so after that game, although it was, I think, the, maybe the second win in seven games or something, it was, it didn't, it felt like a watershed because they hadn't won for a while, but it didn't feel like, okay, now they're, you know, in, in fantastic form and can charge for Europe. It still felt like, no, this is going to be a mid-table season. But after Saturday, you think, wow, you know, this is this is now a team with new energy and, and who really could, you know, they've got, I think, three more home games, all of which are winnable, Frankfurt, Furt and Bochum, and a couple of tough away games. But if you win those three home games, that could well be enough for, for, for sixth or, or seventh, which might be enough for Europe. So, it is amazing how they how they keep on doing this but I think that's partly again it comes back to the fact that it's a club where you can quietly get on with your your work as a coach or a player or a you know sporting director you know you don't have this constant circus going on around you you are quite well protected and and cosseted from the outside world and uh, it's calm and, and stable and you can just get on with your work and deliver and, and that at the moment for the moment seems to be a kind of a perfect cocktail that works really well we'll have to see how, how long it keeps on going because I, I do just think at some point something has to happen that, 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 that upsets the avocado because it's all just a little bit eerily good at the moment obviously this is not a team that is uh, particularly driven by you know outstanding superstar performances I mean there's been some great players who have played there in the past few years, some of whom have, have been moved on. But this is a team type of team. However, do you see anybody moving on in the summer? I mean, it's been, as you said earlier, there's been a lot of churn in both of the summers between their Bundesliga seasons. And, you know, the better they do, the more people are, are casting an eye over players or maybe even casting an eye over, over Urs Fischer. Is there anybody for whom subtracting them from the team you think would really, really harm Union? I mean, of those who are, who are potentially going to leave and are being being speculated about, so we're talking about Taiwa Wani and, and Geraldo Becker, effectively, in, the, uh, in that front line, I think those are players who... As brilliant as they are, and as much as I would, I would love to see them stay. I back Oliver Runet and Oliver Fisher to find, you know, good enough replacements and, and rework that attack because that will have been part of the long-term plan anyway. They would never have thought, you know, particularly with a player like Evony, that, that he was going to stay there for five or six years. So they will have another thing up their sleeve. I think. I think actually. Well, and the, the other thing to say is that Robin Knocker um, just extended his contract, which was a, a huge, huge boost for for everyone in Union. I think because that's that was up in the air for a little while and, and he's definitely a player who once you've lost Friedrich if you were then, then to lose Knocker your two best centre-backs then you'd be struggling and then the defence would suddenly look quite quite exposed and, and you'd have lost a, a pretty important sort of linchpin player and I think that, that could have done a lot of damage so that's that's a that's a, a big bit of business that they've they've managed to, to get him to extend but I think you mentioned you know people casting their eyes over Fisher I think that long term that's the thing that worries me the most is is Fisher or Runert at some point somebody is going to say you know a Schalke or a, or a you know even a Dortmund is going to say well why don't we try with these guys because they're you know they're doing well at this club 
And I mean, I don't think either of them really obviously has history at Schalke, so if, if that ever came up, then we'd have to see what he thought about that. But uh, I, I don't think either of them are necessarily kind of careerists in that sense, that they're, they're only using Onion to, to get to the next big job. I think quite the opposite. I think Fisher's certainly somebody who is quite happy with with what he has and is, would be wary of, of taking on a big glamour job and, you know, leaving what this, this very good situation he has at Onion. But sooner or later, the more success they have, the more the interest is going to be and, and that's tempting. I think that would be the thing that, that would be the most hard to, to replace and could maybe, you know, be, be then after several years of everything going right, uh, a, a real proper challenge for Onion. All right. Well, I, I, I hope you get to enjoy it for as long as possible. <laughs> Stadtmeister. <laughs> I hope I hope uh, I get to enjoy some some derby wins next year as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, uh, we'll see. Okay, so Union are now level on points with Hoffenheim. I guess uh, Hoffenheim find themselves now in what sixth place, seventh place. Yeah, so sixth and seventh, Hoffenheim and Union are level on uh, forty-four points. That's because Hoffenheim absolutely got smashed in Leipzig. Red Bulls beat them three nil. This is obviously a really big result for the home side that puts them just one point off of Leverkusen in third. I thought there were some great goals in this game. I mean, Leipzig's third was a pretty sweet counterattack. Marcel Halstenberg's two nil goal. Beautiful grass cutter off off the post. But that first, the first from Christopher Nkunku is just the kind of goal that makes you love football. I mean, a delicate trap, close control cut back in the box to get himself a little bit of space, perfectly placed shot. When I watch him do things like that, I just really hope that Nkunku sticks around in the Bundesliga for another year or two. Do you have any notion that <laughs> that he might? I mean, it seems like seems like Leipzig is still trying to convince him to stick around. Maybe trying to restructure his current contract with a little bit more money and maybe a, a get out clause in there, which reduces year on year. You know, we talk about it week to week uh, as Leipzig just go from strength to strength, but they're actually getting to be a really fun, fun watch week after week after week. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, as as an Union fan, I'm I'm not optimistic about the the cup semi-final in in uh, ten days' time because I I really don't see you know unless they suddenly have a really bad day I I, I see very few teams in the league beating Leipzig at the moment they're just in in really really good form and I don't know if I was in Konku I'd, I'd I'd give it another year because it looks like something's building there and and you know you'd be guaranteed game time you're you know probably have another another really successful season and then. You've lost nothing a year on. I, I, I did a piece in a while back and spoke to um, one of his old youth coaches from when he was like six or seven years old. And, and this guy was, he was French, but he was a big, uh, he'd grown up in the Alsace and he, he was a big Bundesliga fan. And he was he was raving about, you know, the way the Bundesliga had given Nkunku a chance and the way that he couldn't get at PSG and he wouldn't get in France. And, uh, and he was saying, yeah, he hopes he stays as well. And I think... To me, it seems it seems a no-brainer that you would you would give it another year, at least. But you know, you never know if if PSG come back to him and say and say we can we can guarantee you a, a bigger chance this time, then you'd forgive him for for taking that opportunity. I think so. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the unusual timing of the World Cup this year is going to um, maybe create some interesting dynamics in the uh, the summer transfer window. I mean, players who are in a good situation, players who are sort of performing well and like Nkunku have finally gotten the chance with France. Like, I wouldn't think this summer would be a time to go because if you move on to a big club, I mean, you might start off like gangbusters, but you might also sit for a while. And if he's just now getting a look from France, you know, I, I hope he sticks around is all. <laughs> okay, uh, Leipzig, they are also, they're, they're a way to... Atalanta on Tuesday. They had a 1-1 draw in Leipzig. You know, I think you've already sort of expressed your enthusiasm for the way that they're playing right now and, and, and a little apprehension about what that might mean for Union, not only in the Cup, but they're playing them just a few days after that in the league. How do you like their chances to get past Atalanta? And, you know, as is often the case in the Europa League, once you get to the last eight or so, it's just really, really intriguing because a lot of these games could go Anyway, you look at these teams and you think, you know, other than a couple, I could see any one of them winning the whole thing. 
how are you feeling about Leipzig in that competition right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Atalanta or Atalanta, and you don't, you know, uh, it's not a walkover, but it's, but uh, like I say, I, I think that they just seem to have so much. The mood seems to be so good as as well as the football. There doesn't seem to be any kind of little niggles or any 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 particular sort of Achilles heels at the moment. It's just it just it just feels like they have momentum, and I think that's that's huge, particularly in cup competitions. If you know you, you're doing that and you're going to those games with with a clear plan and confidence and and uh, yeah clarity, then then of course you can win them. And I, I think yeah, I would I would yeah. Certainly, back them to get through that tie. I died to be honest, like you say. I think in the Europa League, it's it's pretty even. Barcelona, I guess, are, are the obvious favourites, but Frankfurt did well in the first leg, and I, you know, I think I think anyone could beat anyone really in that in that last date. So, yeah, pretty pretty exciting. Yeah. Do you rate Frankfurt's chances uh, in the in the home leg against Barcelona? I mean, certainly, just by the performance they put in at the Camp Nou, I I, I feel like I'm not going to say that they have an edge, but being at home. Helps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. They're at home in the first leg, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to see. You know, by all accounts, that was an amazing atmosphere, and and you know that that is a, a amazing atmosphere when it when it's good there in Frankfurt. And so, yeah, whether or not they can then kind of replicate that in a completely different setting against a team who are who are obviously for whom it would be a, a humiliation to be knocked out of the Europa League quarterfinals by Eintracht Frankfurt and who I, I as far as I know have actually been in reasonably good form of late I, I that's you know potentially putting my foot in it because I don't really follow that dig it that closely but um, it seems that they've been doing a little bit better so yeah I think I, I, I'd be surprised basically particularly after the performance last weekend they weren't particularly super convincing against Freiburg um, so yeah uh, I, I think it's an outside chance, but Frankfurt in the Europa League, you know, they go for it. They'll throw everything at it, and you never know. Yeah, and having been to the Camp Nou a couple of times, the place—I <laughs> mean, Frankfurt notoriously—they travel very well, lots of fans, very enthusiastic. But <laughs> as is often the case at Spanish stadiums, they put the away fans in the upper deck corner. <laughs> no one in the lower bowl will be uh, supporting Eintracht. It's going to be an uphill climb for those fans to have any impact on the game, no matter how numerous or enthusiastic they are. Okay. They didn't get it done, of course, Eintracht, on Sunday. They lost at home to Freiburg, falling prey to the Bundesliga's greatest ever substitute goal scorer. He's done it again, Nils Peterson, scoring just eight minutes into his time on the pitch. That's a big help for Freiburg as well. They're now four points clear of that duo of Union and uh, Hoffenheim. Do you reckon they're going to hold on to that spot and, and be the sort of automatic Europa League qualifier for the Bundesliga? Yeah, I, I, I think of all those teams, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tight race. And yep. like you say, they just just got a bit of a, a breathing space there. And of all those teams, they look to me the, the most kind of stable and the best, basically. I mean, you know, they're just, I think they're just the strongest outfit of all those. And, and I, I personally, yeah. As an Union fan, I, I'm, I'm more looking at Hoffenheim, who I think are probably good for the odd bad result like they had against Hertha, and maybe you know if they're dropping points and, and Union are winning. Um, and I think probably Köln fans uh, are, are thinking something similar, and, and yeah, I think Mainz are also in the mix there. So I think I think Freiburg be right. I think the four under them, it really could go anyway. All right, uh, just sort of mopping things up in the uh, you know also ran European conversation. Uh, Leverkusen were, I guess, somewhat unfortunate to draw nil-nil in Bochum. I mean, I don't want to oversell this. There were decent chances for both sides in this game, but it looked like Leverkusen were going to go on top in the 65th minute. They got a penalty kick. Moussa Diaby appeared to convert the penalty, but it didn't count. Do you care to explain this one real quick, Kate? Yeah, so as far as I understand, he kicked it into his own foot, right? And then that's two touches, and according to the laws of the game, you can only, as the penalty taker, touch the ball once, and then somebody else has to touch it, if anybody. Normally, obviously, you just kick it, and it would either go in or not. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people like Musa Diaby, we had the same situation with Cologne in the Cup earlier in the season, I think, uh, lost the shootout because the same thing happened where you slip and you accidentally kick yourself, and then... And then all your good work is undone. It's a weird one. I mean, I, to be honest, I think it's a bit mean because, you know, 
it's it's but yeah, the Germans love that. But the, <laughs> like, no, this this is the rule, and we're gonna we're gonna apply this rule to make sure that the the rules are properly applied. Because if they don't, then what's the point in having a society? So, <laughs> yeah, and who can guess yeah. what anyone's intentions are? You know, we just gotta, we just gotta <laughs> go with the letter of the law. No, I I get the rule. I get it. You know, you don't want people like taking some sort of little like fake touch to sort of get the goalkeeper to, to jump one way and then, you know, kicking it properly with your second touch. But like, clearly that's not what was going on here, nor was it with Cologne. So it, it feels very, very harsh, but you know, the rules are the rules, I suppose. All right. We'll be back in a moment with part two. comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. I'm Matt Herman. I'm here with Kit Holden. We're sort of mopping up the rest of match day 29. You know, we probably, since we didn't talk about them in the top of the show, we'll talk about them in the, the top of the second half of the show. Our duo at the top of the table, who are basically uh, clear of everybody else, and, and, and that top one, who's even clear of the top Two. Well, you, you know what I'm saying. It's Bayern. They're nine points clear of Dortmund. They got a bit of an Arbeitsieg, let's just say, over Augsburg on Saturday. It, it did take them 82 minutes to get a go-ahead goal. The one goal is all they needed to get past Augsburg. Robert Lewandowski uh, scored from the spot after a handball from Reese Oxford prevented a goal-scoring chance. Bayern, I hear you were in Villarreal covering them this past week. They they kind of looked out of sorts in that game, or at least were outplayed. I, I think they were probably a little lucky to only lose the 1-0 in that game. Putting this performance uh, – they weren't bad against Augsburg, but they weren't particularly good. And they weren't particularly good against Villarreal. What things do they need to tighten up uh, this week if they want to actually advance in, in the Champions League? Well, I mean, basically everything. <laughs> they were, they, they were, I mean, the first thing against Villarreal, they were, they were kind of outplayed all over the park. And that was partly because Villarreal were very, very good themselves. I mean, you know, it wasn't just kind of Bayern defeat themselves. It was also Emery, obviously, winning that battle and, and, and the players putting that plan into practice. And, and But the problem for Bayern, I mean, they, I think that the most worrying thing is that is that they just look blunt in both games. Um, like you say, they needed a, a penalty to, to beat Augsburg at home. And they really did not. I mean, they were very, very easily dispossessed in the final third. Didn't create many chances, many really good chances. They didn't really look like breaking Villarreal down for much of that game last week. And as you say, they were lucky. They got hit time and time again on the counter-attack um, in the second half particularly and probably could have lost it 2 or 3-0. The attack, I think, is most worrying because that's what's carried Bayern under Nagelsmann. Um, the defensive problems have been recurring and, and ever-present, but they've usually been okay because the attack is so strong and, and because Bayern can still put three or four past any opposition on their day, so that's fine. But if they're not doing that, then the defensive problems really become even more problematic and they, they were, again, it's, it's, it's really, I think Nagelsmann has, to some extent, got away with it because the title race has gone so smoothly because Dortmund have, have uh, had such a next season and and because Nagelsmann is Nagelsmann there's a lot of faith that he will you know it will come good um, because people know what qualities he has as a coach but really this is this is turning into a kind of a pretty kind of serious problem for for his side because they really do just get torn apart by by teams that can counter well um, and and it seems very kind of very basic stuff that you know you just you end up with with not enough men defending against a counter attack because everybody's flooded forward and that's that's just it seems like such a basic thing that that you know most most coaches would sort of drill in as a fundament into their team and a foundation stone and and Bayern just some you know time and again this season has shown they they can be exploited and 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 beaten in that way. And Villarreal did it very, very well. We've seen Bochum do it well. We've seen Gladbach do it well. Benzema gave a, an interview to Lekeep a few weeks ago where he basically said the same thing before the Villarreal game. He was saying, you know, <laughs> Bayern, Bayern scored a lot of goals, but he also conceded a lot of goals. And, you know, if you hit them on a break, then you'll end up four against two. Uh, I said something along those lines. And I think, yeah, even if they get past Villarreal, teams like Liverpool and Real and City are going to look at that and think, well, yeah, that's, a, you know, 
that's a team we can probably beat if we if we play our cards right. And I think that's kind of worrying. And and you know, fine, it, it's it's not expected that Nagelsmann has to win the Champions League in his first year. I think there'll be no shame in in going out in the semis or the final to to one of the other big clubs. But if they go out against Villarreal, it's a it's a, it's a big humiliation. Um, and I think it's possible the way they played in the last two games. It's also possible that they they suddenly switch it on and attack again. And you know put four or five past them as they did against Salzburg but, but Villarreal are a lot better than Salzburg and uh, Salzburg exploited Bayern's weaknesses in, in, in moments in that in that last 16 tie and they, and they had kind of occasions where they, they managed to kind of show them up but with Villarreal you felt that it was a much more complete outwitting of, of Nagelsmann's Bayern and I think that's that's a worry because yeah in the end it's, it's probably going to define the season Yeah it is interesting how little scrutiny there's been over some of these issues, considering the way that the, the, the league campaign has gone and how little resistance Dortmund have put up. But Dortmund did keep pace after a fashion. As I mentioned earlier, it's still it's a nine-point gap, but it's it's still just just nine points. After Dortmund took down Stuttgart uh, on Friday night, you know, I mentioned Nils Peterson earlier in the show as the greatest substitute goal scorer in the Bundesliga history. Julian Brandt, not the best substitute goal scorer. He did score two on the night against Stuttgart, but he became the earliest substitute goal scorer. He had come on to the pitch um, after Giorena picked up an injury in the uh, the second minute of the game. Julian Brandt scored in the 12th minute. That was the earliest goal by a substitute. Yeah, Jesus, Giorena, incredibly unlucky. This is his, you know, I, I guess third injury break in this season, he's really only gotten to play, I don't know, maybe 15 games for, for uh, Dortmund over the course of the season, despite um, all that he brings to the table. This may or may not be uh, an appropriate time to impugn the Dortmund uh, physical, I guess, athletic trainer department, but they certainly have come under a lot of scrutiny over the course of the season and in recent years. Is there a renewed conversation about this stuff? In light of this injury or in light of uh, Rafa Guerrero, also had a muscle injury. I mean, <laughs> what's going on at Dortmund? What are they doing wrong? Everyone's pulling up with hamstrings and calf injuries there. Yeah, I mean, it's they, there was this thing after after the Stuttgart game, right, where, where Rosa sort of had to defend this this physiotherapist who um, I think had been announced that he was going to leave after, after 10 years. And that sort of sparked this conversation, particularly as, as there were so many injuries in that game <laughs> in the season despite the conversation that perhaps this is a you know maybe this guy's fault and Rosa was sort of saying no well like you know there's, there's a lot of people it's not just one physio physiotherapist who's responsible for, for whether players get injured or not it's it's a lot of people the coach and the athletic coaches and you know lots of factors play into that but there does seem to be a, a substantial problem uh, with that at Dortmund watching the Zone highlights show and there were some amazing stats they've had they've had 50 injuries this season there's one about Haaland that he's had something like 18 muscle problems since he's been at Dortmund and and previous to that in, in Salzburg he'd only had one muscle problem in you know uh, the same period two years or whatever so there does seem to be something something amiss and it has basically shafted them because he hasn't really been able to build that you know, consistency and stability this season and, and there's been the constant, you know, hoo-ha about when, when Holland is coming back and he's been out for basically half the season in total and most of the time he's been out the talk has been, oh my God, when's he coming back, when's he coming back and that's that's unsettling and yeah, it, it basically has just ruined what could on paper, should on paper have been have been a, a good chance for, for a title push this season for, for Dortmund. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking. You know, Bayern would have 69 points here with uh, with five games to go, which is not a bad haul. But compared to some of the Bayern teams that we've seen in in the last <laughs> decade of dominance, they're not you know shooting the lights out. Okay, looking at things from the Stuttgart side of this, they you know as I mentioned earlier uh, are still in the thick of the relegation fight. Everybody down there <laughs> lost all the sort of you know prime actors, I guess. Kind of looking like a three-horse race now. Just one point are separating Stuttgart from Hertha and Bielefeld. You know that 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 was ensured by the fact that uh, Wolfsburg just clobbered Bielefeld. It was a four-nil win, one in which the, the the Wolves dominated from start to finish, pretty much. Which is the first time we could say that in a really long time. Bielefeld 
Hertha, Stuttgart. One's staying up, one's going to be in the playoff, and one is going straight down. Who is who? I'm going to say Stuttgart are probably staying up. I think they're probably the team with the most quality, and I kind of, yeah, I, I that would be where my feeling is. I'd really like to say Hertha on the on the Redigatsionsplatz, and I probably am going to say it just because I want it to happen. I, I do think... Like I said after the game, after the derby, well, look, you know, Union are a much better team than us. These aren't the games we need to be winning. The games we need to be winning are the ones we've got coming up against Stuttgart and Bielefeld, um, which is certainly St. Augsburg as well, who are kind of out of that race now. Uh, that was a bit tone deaf from him, I think, after after the mention of a of a of a derby defeat. But uh, effectively, he's right. I mean, had to probably only need one big win in that run in to cling on to the, to the Relegationsplatz um, or get onto the Relegationsplatz and then cling on to it. But I don't know. After that first win, uh, when Father Ingham was in charge, it felt like, yeah, this this could work and this could just give them a bit of a boost and, and turn things around and maybe if they get a good result in the derby. And since then, the mood has got so, so bad again. And, and McGat just did not look convincing in the in the press conference after the game on Saturday. He just he did not look like a coach who was clear and confident about his plan to, to keep this team up. He was saying things like, you know, all oh, other coaches don't need so much time to get to know a team. I need I need time to get to know a team where you think you've come in saying that you're the, the great relegation firefighter and can, can turn things around immediately. And now you're saying, oh, I need a bit more time and it's all a bit too short notice. Well, I mean, that to me suggests that maybe he, he's kind of looking around and thinking, oh God, this is this is maybe not going to work. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see them do it. Um, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say Hertha managed to scrape a win against, I think they're still playing Bielefeld, right? Scrape a win against Bielefeld, get the Redigatsion's bats, Bielefeld go down. And yeah, probably Hertha lose to Darmstadt. In the, you had me. <laughs> you had me until the very end there, kid. I was just going to sign off on the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we, we talked about the race for Europe at some length earlier in the episode, you know, that what's going on between the likes of Freiburg and Hoffenheim and Union. We probably could have included Cologne in that list. I think they're really in the thick of it as well. They're just one point back of, of uh, uh, Hoffenheim and Union. That's because they got a huge comeback win against Mainz. They were down 2-0 at home on 55 minutes and then just flipped a switch. Uh, the final half hour, they, you know, and we all know what the atmosphere in Cologne can be when, when things start to tip in, in their team's favor, you know, ended up getting three goals in the last half hour. Ironically, you had Luca Kilian uh, scoring the winner um, in, in the 82nd minute. He is, he's actually on loan from Mainz at Cologne and, and you know a lot of players when they score against their parent club you know kind of hold back a little bit <laughs> he did not he was very very pleased with himself very pleased to to score the winner how do you sort of view Cologne's chances this is one of the colonious Cologne teams I've I've seen in forever I mean even when they were pretty good during the Peter Stöger era they were still playing some pretty um I don't know. Not very exciting football. They were really relying on Antony Modeste to, to sort of do a lot for them. This is this is a team that's just set up for wild emotional swings in terms of their tactics and their style. And you know, I think that there's not much not much more you can ask for out of a Cologne side than this. No, and I think it's a, there's there's a reason why Stefan Baumgart is is immediately so popular. I mean, you know, he's he's got history of immediately endearing himself to, to fan bases. He was at Union for two years and is now on the basis of that two years a complete yeah, club legend. He's he's a guy who yeah who uses those emotional swings as you, as you as you say uh, and and this is a team that can pull off things like the one like what they did at the weekend. It's it's you know uh, when they get going when they get that kind of momentum behind them they are a very very good attacking force. Like there's been a few times in this season where they've been behind I think and they've they've come back with just a kind of ten or fifteen minute period of suddenly turning it around basically and that's 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 cool yeah they're fun to watch they're a fun team they're still yeah a bit Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde I think because I mean if you'd seen them against Union <laughs> two weeks ago it was a completely different I mean I've, I've rarely seen a team uh, look so blunt and, and uninspired going forward but yeah when they're on song they're on song and uh, I think they're very much in that race to be honest because I think both Union and Hoffenheim are still it's still possible they drop points and yeah it, if Kern 
hit, hit a good streak on the basis of that result. That's a result that can maybe give you a bit of momentum for, for the next few games. There's no reason to think they couldn't finish sixth either. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting race to watch. Okay, one last game before we wrap things up completely. <laughs> Cologne, in fact, are traveling to Gladbach next week, which kind of an interesting matchup considering those two clubs' history with each other. Gladbach would love, uh, of course, to, to get a win there for all the reasons that, that teams like to win derbies. They did get a win on match day 29. They beat Fürth 2-0 away, which, you know, that puts them, I think, seven points off of Europe and 11 points off of relegation, which is the definition of no man's land. Certainly not where Gladbach want to be as a club, considering uh, where they've been in the recent past. Adi Hütter, the new coach that was brought in by the previous uh, sporting director, Max Abel, hasn't really worked out, but he has been given something resembling a vote of confidence uh, moving forward. All, all the noises coming out of that club is that they want to move forward with him. Is that a good call? Is that smart? Or is this maybe something that, that should just be uh, you know written off as misunderstanding? No, I, th- I think it probably is a good call because I think he has shown, you know, at Frankfurt not only what he can do when it when it goes well, but also, I mean, as I remember, he had in the middle of that period in Frankfurt a, a kind of similar phase where suddenly it all seemed for a little while to be going south, and and that was sort of you know after the euphoria of that that Europa League season, they almost flirted with the relegation fight at some point, but he stirred them out of that trouble again and 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 led them back up, and I think that's a he's therefore shown that you know he can if given time turn things around and I, you know I, I still think it's a you know it's a good hire it's a good piece of business from Gladbach that and so it makes sense um it hasn't worked out this year but there's also been a lot of turbulence this year at that club anyway with Abel leaving and and things like that so I I, I don't know I, I think don't don't necessarily throw the baby out of the bathwater and a bit of stability is probably good when when your uh, long-serving sporting director has left and uh yeah give him up year. why not yeah, I think it's going to be a very intriguing Rhein Derby uh, next weekend, certainly, with Cologne pushing for Europe and, and, and Gladbach <laughs> pushing for them not to get into Europe. It should be very tasty indeed. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. I guess, I guess it was great to have you back, Kit. I, I enjoyed it a lot, Matt. Uh, I, I, I hope I'll enjoy the next time just as much. Yeah, yeah, well... You know, I hope they'll be next time. <laughs> maybe next year. Maybe in some unspecified number of years. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Kit Holden. You can read his work on The Athletic, uh, among other places. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there. Talking Foosball Extra is coming up in a couple of days. And Talking Foosball Fantasy will be getting you ready for Match Day 30 toward the end of the week. This is some next simoleon. 